It's, it's tricky because even going in, like uh, I think it wasn't even until junior or senior year that I really, for one, understood what chemical engineers do for a living, right? And then two, I didn't really even know what area I wanted to go into. You know, it was all up in the air for me. Hello, and welcome to the Dumb It Down podcast, where we break down key personal decisions to reflect on what really matters in school and work. I am your host, Eric Larson, and today I'm joined by my good friend, Evan Scott, who went from engineering students to travel around the world in an international master's program to his current self-proclaimed dream job in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Evan's a very smart dude and has a very cool job, and uh, I'll let him tell you more about it. So without further ado, here's Evan. Evan Scott, welcome to the podcast. This is Eric Larson, your host for today. You're, you're the host every day, I guess, too, aren't you? So This is true. Today, tomorrow, next week, uh, whatever the heck this airs. I have no idea, but hopefully it will. So Evan and I grew up together. We were on the same six-year-old basketball team. Evan was big Evan, because he's a pretty tall guy. I was just Eric, nondescript. And my dad was the coach, good times. And you could guess who the all-star was. It, it was not me, just uh, to fill you in. You'll, you'll figure that out when I describe what sports I did in, in high school too. So. <laughs> I don't think I was an all-star quite yet. Those were my nine, ten-year-old days, and then it was oh, definitely like, yeah, there. okay, eight, yeah, eight and up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. So, so right, right down the street for me, and then Evan went to South Mac High School, go Sabers, uh, yeah. and I wanted to ask you a couple questions about what it was like being in high school and kind of thinking about going into engineering, picking a college, some of those things. But uh, what, what was on your mind growing up were you kind of, when you were kind of figuring yourself out? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think for everyone that goes into engineering, people kind of have like a very similar answer, right? Where didn't think too much about it. I didn't have some grand vision for my life in high school. I, hopefully that's normal because, you know, it's <laughs> definitely the case for me and most of the people I knew. Um, and then, I mean, yeah, of course, like I was always liked math, was good at math, you know, like came, came pretty easy to me, uh, relatively. And I think it was just one of those where, you know, retrospectively it's it, the amount of influence your teachers have on your future career path in high school. Sure. And even a little before that is, is massive. Right. So I had a really good math teacher and a really good chemistry teacher by far my favorite teachers I had had. And so what did I end up studying in college? Chemical engineering. Um, you know, so it's kind Check of classic. I like, I like math. I like science. You know, I like playing around with stuff, problem solving. And so engineering was just kind of that natural, like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll do engineering. So did a teacher put engineering on your radar or a parent? Like how did you connect math and science to engineering? Yeah, I don't know that it was ever anyone was specific about, oh, you should do X, Y, Z. I, I think it was kind of just talking to people and, and, you know, I'm sure it came up. Someone said, well, applied science is engineering, so you should do that. But it's a little less theoretical and more practical. So I think that's 
you know, it, uh, most engineers too, especially people that went to mechanical will be like, well, I like playing with Legos as a kid. I like <laughs> I was say that. as a kid. Right. Yeah. That's like another classic answer. Right. And, and that also was a box checked by me too, as a kid. So. Yeah, I guess it's just an analytical mind. But no, the, the teacher point, I hadn't thought about too much, but you're totally right because I loved my high yeah. school physics teacher. I loved my high school chemistry teacher. And so, yeah, then that combined with kind of my parents leading me into engineering through a high school internship type of thing helped. Uh, did you expect to go to college? Were uh, you expected to go to college? Did you have any other options there? Yeah, I think, you know, that that's kind of, you know, the classic model. I know it's changing a little bit, but, you know, both my parents went to college. I think, you know, ha half my grandparents didn't. So, you know, I guess I'm technically basically third generation. Um, but, you know, both my parents did. Both my dad has a graduate degree. You know, he's a dentist. So, you know, went through a lot of schooling. Uh, my sister went to college, all that. So I think, yeah, it was kind of a, an expectation, right? never directly like, oh, you, you must, ex you know, there was nothing prescriptive from my parents on career path or like education, but I think it was just understood, you know, and I, and I always done fairly well in school and everything. So it was never a, an option, but you know, there, there's a lot more out there now. I think, you know, retrospectively, you know, taking gap years and things like that, I, I think are great ideas. It just wasn't necessarily on my radar from my family or my perspective. Yeah, no, I was in the same boat. I feel like there's a, there's a pull to college and especially once the majority of your friends are doing it, you kind of want to go along Oh, for too. sure. I mean, that was also, I mean, my college selection you kind of asked about, right? I mean, I, I applied to Clemson, Georgia Tech and NC State. I got into all of them, you know, and, and if it hadn't been for the pull of my friends, I probably would have gone to Clemson. Yeah, to be honest, but Good my, my two best friends from high school, my two best friends from high school were going to NC State. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm going there. So, right? you know, that's just how it, podcast that's how it shook out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple, a couple engineering schools in mind applied to, got in and then had that decision. Um, but NC state was the choice. Go Wolfpack. Yeah, so Evan pack. and I just, we grew up in the same neighborhood and we kind of ish became friends right before college. Not, not we exactly hung out a couple times. Same but... neighborhood. We were basically, we were across the street and he was kind of, a, we were rivals. a rival, a rival gang of neighborhood kids basically is what it was. <laughs> this is true. And Evan was trying to infiltrate my gang. The PC boys. Yeah. I guess by now being guest number one or two, you've successfully infiltrated. That's been um, the most validating experience of my life is getting Eric's acceptance <laughs> into the, the neighborhood group. <laughs> Oh boy. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll refrain from saying the one thing that you want me to say with the fist bump, but we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll cross that bridge another time. Uh, not on the air, at least. I can't have that recorded. Um, okay, so NC State. So yeah, we were kind of, kind of knew each other from the summer and then freshman year, a big bunch of us engineers in the same dorm got to know each other from Charlotte and uh, ended up having a bunch of fun in college and afterwards. So anyway, take me back to freshman year, Evan. I know... Uh, the first year or two of our college experiences was a little different. Um, I had some of the general education classes for me were a little different than some of the weed out classes for you. So talk a little bit about that and freshman year and your mind state then. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was tough. I mean, coming in was a huge adjustment, right. From, from high school, like, to be honest, like, 
slept through a lot of my classes, you know, probably didn't pay as much attention as I should have, like didn't take great notes, like didn't have those really good fundamental habits that your teachers always tell you you need and you roll your eyes at. Yeah, you need those, turns out. Um, like got into some of these classes, you know, and then like like really struggled in some of it. You know, I went into like an honors uh, calc two because I was like, oh, I've already basically done this. Why not just do honors? And, you know, like I had I know, some other things going on there, but like I just like bombed the first test and that was my reality check, right? Like I think I got like a 40. Freshman year? Yeah. Semester one? Bombed it. <laughs> and, and so like, I mean, after that, it was kind of like an inflection point. Thankfully, it hit me early and I got my act together after that. But like, you know, and the teacher at that level was flexible enough. I got A's and B's on all the rest of my tests. So they're like, okay, obviously, first test not indicative of your, your ability as a student. So they dropped it, thankfully. But, you know, like that was my, my induction into kind of college life a bit was that. And I was like, oh, I got to actually like step my game up. And, uh, you know, so that and then chemical engineering, right? Like, I mean, you get those weed out classes, right? That's uh, the intent is early on, they want to screen people. They say they're not weed out classes, but they are. And, you know, like, I think we dropped 40% of people out of that first year, like, you know, chemie class, uh, which actually might have been sophomore is, year, freshman, yeah. like first semester of sophomore year thinking about it, but so long ago now. But um, yeah, it is. It's it's kind of weird to think about. Yeah, I feel like they have like people know that there's weed out they're classes. They're unofficial they weed out. That. Yeah. Some some classes are different than others. Again, it depends on your teacher. So you know, good or sure. bad can really affect that. Depends on the major you pick, kind of all of that. But um, yeah, so you you had picked chemical engineering mm -hmm. at the same time as some as that that semester. When was that? I picked that initially. So our matriculation, you know, we, we had to do first year general ed stuff, right? And then uh, you matriculate. I, I wasn't undecided or anything, but they, they make you earn earn it your first year, right? Um, and then, yeah, it's, now that I think about it, it was sophomore year that we, we had the kind of trial by fire for Kimmy students. Uh, but yeah, that okay. freshman year was all like physics and all that and, you know, like, stuff again that i didn't have the exposure to i didn't have the background i didn't do physics in high school and in college the physics classes operate under the understanding that you did so you know again extra learning curve kind of coming into it that was a, a good reality check for me moving forward yeah i hadn't thought about um oh uh, looks like uh eric is froze and we're back yeah something happened um, speaking of physics classes, I remember the one physics class you and I took together. We did, year, yeah. Sophomore year. Oh my gosh, I did not like that teacher, and I would come in late afternoon, tired, and just do like a quick five-minute nap during class, like every class. Um, yeah, not great. But made it out of there alive. <laughs> yeah, and, and then you realize too in college, like teachers generally speaking especially the general stuff they don't care about you as much as your high school teacher does you know you're you're kind of a number they're there to teach the tas take over in a lot of ways for any actual questions so like they're in and out right like they're they're not nearly as invested in you succeeding as your high school or you know people you know earlier on are when you get into like your more advanced classes that are smaller right like people like if you have good teachers obviously they care but you know early on it's one of those again differences in, in approaches. 
Yeah. Well, and, and like like high school, it's just depending on the teacher. You know, a big lecture hall, of course, oh, they can't sure. pay attention to everyone. But mm -hmm. if you have guided notes and you have you know personalized PowerPoints, it's a little different. Right. Than, you know, read chapters one and two, and we'll see it. You know, right. Exactly. Um, Being so yeah, with some of those classes. Yep. So those classes, so now you're a senior, you probably had an internship, but you're looking at jobs. I guess maybe you're not looking at jobs, you went another direction. What was uh, what was senior year like? Yeah, so senior year was, it's, it's tricky because even going in, like uh, I think it wasn't even until junior or senior year that I really, for one, understood what chemical engineers do for a living, right? And then two, I didn't really even know what area I wanted to go into. You know, it was all up in the air for me. I was thinking grad school at state. I, I kind of had like an unofficial offer to, to do a like dual PhD program. Um, you know, junior year is kind of when my interest in sustainability got peaked up a bit, you know, and it's so powerful if you figure out your interest and in what you want to do early, you know, like if I had known that freshman year, then, you then you have four years of college that you can take specific interest specific classes right and you can do internships that you're interested in so you know i figured that out a little later thankfully i figured it out at all how'd you um, figure that out yeah that's a that's a great question you know I, I don't know what it was i mean i've always i guess been environmentally minded you know it just seems kind of like a you know i'm maybe it's my my roots like my my good protestant traditional roots about not wasting anything <laughs> I don't really know. Okay. Maybe maybe there's something deep deep seated in my upbringing that that triggered me to, to be that way. But yeah, I was just uh, I guess yeah, sustainability, environmentalism, all that was kind of just I guess everything melded together, and that just became my interest. Um, did a bunch of yeah. bio. I thought well, some of it. I thought it was cool. Yeah, I, I get made fun of for this stuff all the time. I was relentlessly bullied by people in uh, in college about my my interests. So. I got called recycle. Well, I, I got mean, called recyclops at the pool one time for picking up like <laughs> beer cans and throwing them or putting them in the recycling bin. So that's that. Yeah, that's a deep rooted interest. Then even at the pool, thinking about it. Yeah, you always are very well researched in the things that you care about. So once that was a strength, or was just decided it was an interest. Uh, I'm sure there were lots and lots of hours poured into the research and i yeah, know that still happens sure. today because we go back and forth and then uh you know so i was looking at the the grad school route i you know and what i'll lead into is that like i studied german as my minor you know I, I i don't really know how we landed there i think that was actually from parents they thought that was a good language to learn so i did in high school and you know just my best friend then too and you know vlad he uh he was doing it also so i think we just said why not and it covered a lot of the GE requirements so I, I never got to do the study abroad though in college so that was something I was trying to figure out how to get to do because I you know once you start working there's only so many opportunities you have to really live abroad so I was trying to figure that out I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do I was doing a bunch of job interviews and then like I got a little disillusioned with some of the places I was going out to you know like plants chemical plants in the middle of nowhere which is kind of what you figure out a lot of chemical engineering ends up being surprise surprise um and you know eventually landed on something i'd applied to some grad school programs just waiting and I, and I landed on a cool job in rtp that was you know like a research pipeline group where they take lab scale stuff and then scale it up to pilot you know really enjoyed that and but then i heard back from one of those grad schools i'd applied to 
which was uh, a program abroad sponsored by the EU. You know, I, I found this program it was a win-win, gave me an excuse to study more about sustainable technology, sustainable energy. And it also got me abroad for two years. And, you know, they were initially saying that they weren't sure if they had a scholarship for me, which is really the deciding factor. But as soon as I came through with that, I quit my job, no questions asked. Um, you know, they thought it was they're like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, this kid wants to go do this crazy program abroad. So I think they kind of, you know, were, 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 they asked me a lot, are you sure? Right. When I was making the decision, I was like, yeah, like, absolutely. Right. Not that I didn't enjoy the job, but couldn't pass that up. The opportunity and, and life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I forgot about that. So how long were you at that job? Like a month? Like three months. <laughs> Oh, okay. A little longer than I thought. Yeah, but yeah right. Yeah, you don't necessarily not, not want to start a job, especially right after school. And yeah, get get out of it that quick. But right, kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity to go do school, do it abroad in Europe. And you ended up living in Barcelona and Norway, Sweden, <laughs> and Sweden. Uh, Italy as well, right? I was about to say, I was going to say the same thing, but that would offend a lot of people. So um yeah and then some, so we did a that. summer research opportunity in italy yeah we'll, we'll edit that out um <laughs> yeah so it was a rotation rotational program right so um you know focused on sustainable energy and my first year was in barcelona which is where the general education requirements you know were kind of done where they give you a broad overview of everything right um summer internship you know also difficult to really get a real job as an American abroad, right? Without any kind of plug. So um, worked at a lab in Turin, Italy, which is great. I mean, I really enjoyed the time there with one of my good friends from the program. And then my second year was in Stockholm. Um, chose that kind of based on their specialty, which is great. Really enjoyed it. Um, and did a did a internship there, my thesis with uh, the local Swedish Environmental Research Institute on wastewater treatment. Fun but uh, you know, wastewater. surprise, surprise! I studied Germ studied German in, in college, and then lived in Spain and Sweden. So really, really came in useful there. Didn't get to use it much, and I learned more. <laughs> yeah, and I learned Italian because I lived with Italians. So you know, like really, all over the place. <laughs> Give me a quick Italian phrase that's appropriate. Oh, that's, yeah, that's the kicker there. Uh, <laughs> I can't, most of my, my language skills are inappropriate, you know, cause they, they thought it was funny to teach the American uh, pro profane things, so. Bonjour now. Um, yeah, right, they're just using you. Yeah. Um, Okay, so yeah, I mean, I'm sure I feel like a lot of people upon graduating college or maybe a couple of years in have that urge to travel abroad or live abroad and uh, studying abroad for a master's program is certainly one great way to do it. So yeah, I was really excited for you when that happened and for uh, sure. actually got to see Evan when I was over there for after I graduated for a couple of weeks in Barcelona, a couple of days. Um, so yeah, so then you came back, came back to Raleigh where NC State is ended up finding a job that was kind of adjacent to what you learned, but not quite doing all of the things that you were really interested in, especially with all this new knowledge and transitioned that into a job you're currently at. I'm much more excited about. So a little bit on that journey. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously the program was pretty comprehensive on, you know, sustainable energy, all that. And energy efficiency was a big portion of that. But to be honest, like, you know, you, there's the, the phrase that like energy efficiency isn't sexy, right? People, people care about production and, you know, big, large scale wind farms, solar farms, all that. But no one cares about, you know, telling someone to turn their thermostat down two degrees to save energy. You know, even though really that's fundamental to making any of those other technologies work, right? Energy efficiency is, is the bottom of the pyramid where everything else stacks up on top of. Um, so I came back and it's kind of a weird job cycle, you know, like at least the timing wise or timing wise was. And uh, was just looking around, struggling a little bit. You know, I applied to a bunch of these these rotational programs that I was really excited about, like you know, the global leadership programs at some large companies, and just like wasn't getting traction with it. Uh, you know, didn't have the right contacts, or you know, wasn't going through the right avenues to get seen. At least that's how I felt. Um, got a job in Raleigh, kind of through actually NC State's job platform. You know, so make sure you keep that account active comes, comes in handy. Yeah. Um, you know, it was energy efficiency. I wasn't super excited about it initially, but you know, I really developed a strong interest in it. It was basically funny enough, a mechanical engineering job, you know, not, not related to Kimmy at all. Represent. And then, um, you know, really enjoyed the job, had a, had a great, great starting position. You know, I had a manager that was very supportive, very knowledgeable, who, who coached me a lot and taught me. And then also, you know, I got up to speed pretty quick and, you know, they're, they're a pretty traditional company, you know, in, in the way that they, they change a little slowly. So, you know, there are a lot of things that I wanted to do that, that weren't necessarily going to be implemented, at least, you know, what I saw in, a, in an appropriate time frame or a time frame that was, you know, fast enough for me. Um, but, you know, I, I really, I use the job kind of to do win-win learning you know, objectives where I would have a skill set that I wanted to learn and I knew it could be useful for my job. So I would use my job as an excuse and a, a reason to learn the skill set, you know, like Python. Um, we would get these data sets. I could have just done it in Excel and been done with it, right? But I was like, hey, I've got extra time. Teaching yourself programming, yeah. You know. Right, you know, and, and it'll increase the value of, of, you know, my deliverables at this job and then definitely something I could translate moving forward as well. So. I, I leveraged that, but after kind of, you know, two years or so, you know, I got a little tired of sitting on my hands a bit and decided to look elsewhere, got the wandering eye and, uh, applied to a bunch of jobs. Yeah. I mean, I, I think my tab, my browser tab for job listings or whatever that I was looking at was a hundred companies long or something like that. I had a massive backlog. That's how, that's how much I was, you know, looking around, but, uh, Daydreaming. <laughs> I found a couple companies, you know, I was really interested in, you know, energy efficiency as a service was, was a topic that I kind of stumbled upon. Um, saw the, the current company I'm at listed for adaptive and, uh, found a job posting that I thought was similar, you know, that I could handle, thought it was honestly a huge long shot. You know, it was for a position that I, at the time I knew I could work up to, but you know, like I knew it was a long shot from an experience standpoint, one of those like eight to 10 year type experience jobs and having two and a half in my current job, you know, 
but I, I made sure I emphasized in the application that, you know, like, you know, despite not meeting all the requirements here, like I, I know I can handle it. I got it. You know, I, I'm going to do whatever it takes to fill the role. And, you know, nice. one thing led to another, had an interview and like, you know, I, I think it's one of those where my current manager, the guy who was interviewing me, like saw that I got it. And even though I may not have been as, you know, technically or plugged in from an industry standpoint as, as other applicants, I think just having the right mindset and, uh, you know, especially coming into a startup environment, which is what we were or are, um, you know, mindset is, is half or more than half the battle and being able to be flexible and, and operate in the gray area. So that worked out. And yeah, this is honestly kind of, I don't know what to do with myself after this. This is basically where I saw myself in 20 years as a, you know, dream job i guess you could say it's awesome. yeah it's it's great you know it's it's good it's one of those triggers a little bit of an the existential crisis now i'm like where do i go from here because you know i never thought i'd get here so but that's a good problem right that's not it's not something i'm going to complain about good problem to have yeah some imposter syndrome i'm sure in there too but uh no Absolutely. i mean yeah, you might as well apply for things and see if you can get them and try to convince people you're worthy and especially if you know you have the skills and the background so i'm totally with you there and then kind of you know bleed in so let's bit. back up for a minute go yeah so one of the uh one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you uh we're in kind of the same field we share some kind of responsibilities, but, but we, we've talked a lot about work. And after a year or so of hearing about your company, I still couldn't explain it to one of our other friends. So when she asked you, what does your company do? Like, how do they even make money? You had a really good answer for that. So yeah, starting from like square one, take me through a project okay, and like yeah. full round numbers. So basically, uh, a customer, they have, you know, they spend $100 a year on electricity. We come in, we say, hey, looks like we can change your lighting out and it's going to save you, you know, $60. So after us, their bill would then be 40 right? So our, our agreement is, hey, well, you don't want to spend your own money on this, right? Let us do the project for you. We'll finance it. And instead of that $100 you were spending, maybe you spend um, $70. So you're still saving 30. And then that balance between the 70 and the, the 60 that you're actually saving, we, we keep as our fee. So it pays for the project and it pays us a little, a little on top to cover our time and effort. So it's, it's kind of a win-win business model, which is exciting. So customer gets brand new technology, whether that's lighting, you know, HVAC, whatever. They're saving money off of their utility bill. They're saving that chunk of 30 and they're getting all this stuff up front, no costs. We're doing everything for them and we're getting our fee out of it, out of the net savings. So in that scenario, yeah, we would get that. We would get 30, they get 30, right? 50-50 split, but it varies depending on what we're doing. Something like hypothetically, right? So they could do the 40 if they had the time, effort, resources to implement these projects on their own, but they're complicated, you know, and especially getting to scale, it's, it's a lot easier said than done, which is where we come in. 
So yeah, that's so you the said general. dream job earlier. So yeah, it's the it's the combination of sustainability, your interest, you're helping with energy efficiency, which helps buildings use less energy, which helps to the bottom line of the building's sustainability. On top of that, you did energy efficiency coming out of school and you translated some of those skills into this current job because they lean on you to say, okay, how much money would we actually save if we went in and did this project and you have to know the technical portion of the lighting and the building and the footprint right. and the you know dollars per kilowatt hour and all the fancy engineering stuff that you right. in school, right? All the metrics, yeah. All all the, the fancy math stuff is what, what gets done on the back end, right? And then it's translating to the customer like we're doing now. So not not doing what a lot of engineers, you know, we get in trouble for doing, which is just, you know, going off on a technical rant and not understanding who we're talking to. So that, that was something that I've kind of honed a little bit, you know, maybe that's not obvious from talking to you right now, but yeah, I mean, it's great. No, and, and it's not just the, the whole point. Yeah. You know, and, it, and it's not just the, the actual content of the work, which is great. It's the environment too, you know, and like we talked about how teachers have a huge impact on, on your quality of, you know, future trajectory, having a good manager makes it equally, if not more impact. So I've got my manager now who supports me a hundred percent, you know, like it was that one of those, like you talked about imposter because he's like, okay, you're the guy I trust you figure it out. And I never had someone put that much on me, which is stressful in a way, but you know, like it really, it's either one of those, you step up to it or you, you, you know, can't necessarily handle it. And thankfully I I feel like I'm stepping up to it, um, getting there and, you know, having that, that confidence behind you where, you know, if I'm like, Hey, I want to do this. He's like, yeah, do it. You know, whereas in my old position, it was like, you know, I would just have to kind of do and ask for permission and maybe they would use it. Probably not. But here, you know, I, I get to, to, to do really anything. They just, it's, like I feel like a kid in a candy shop a lot of the times with all the stuff I'm allowed to do. Yeah, well, I'm sure you're doing a good job because they keep putting more on your plate and giving you direct reports and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, no, very, very happy for you and proud of where you've come since uh, since the 40% of your first test in engineering. So, yeah, I mean, don't don't sweat the small stuff. Is certainly a portion of this, and you can there's there's a lot of different directions you can take your degree, your second degree, your first job, and and I think that you're a good example of um, where things can go. And as you mentioned, I had this realization too, when you get to about junior year of engineering, you're like, oh, so they want me to work in a plant in the middle of nowhere. And I think with chemical engineering, it's even more of a draw than with mechanical. So yeah, going uh, to Europe location is is just experiencing that at your point in life is a good thing and uh yeah you've been able to move around and, and figure some things out so uh, a couple other questions for you i think that kind of covers the the journey to to your point one one last kind of closing thing that was really helpful for me in framing career um like in my my last job i i went to this conference right it was i think duke fuquay their their business schools and it was a partnership with the school of environment and they had all these people speaking there that were um, chief sustainability officers at like Fortune 500 companies like Coke and uh, Burt's Bees. And, and, you know, I really 
that was like a, another inflection point for me as far as like career path and like being focused on what I want to do where one of them said, you know, the job you're going to be in in 20 years doesn't exist right now. You know, all these people were in sustainability positions. That was not a thing 20 years ago. You know, like that, that wasn't even on anyone's radar. And what they said is, you know, you, you have an interest, you have a passion, whatever you're interested in, it doesn't matter what job you're in, you can apply that, you know, there's a way to it. So, you know, they, they gave, they were just talking about they were in marketing positions, but they cared a lot about sustainability. So that was always a skew that they brought to every position that they moved through. And then eventually, you know, your natural progression by bringing the appropriate mindset and, and bringing your interest to the job, you, you end up in that right position, right? It's just a matter of staying focused on what, what you like, no matter what job you're going into. And that's kind of what I absorbed, right? Like that interest in learning, new skills, you know, my interest in sustainability and then renewable energy and sustainability um, and just brought it down and, and continued as a focus. So that was something that was really impactful for me to hear. Definitely helped my trajectory. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it takes some people longer than others to identify their strengths and then to get them to translate into jobs. And then on, on top of that, you know, looking out another 5, 10, 20 years, it might be hard to envision your next step because there's going to be different interests and different strengths that come up and technology is going to change. And uh, I mean, yeah, the, the whole world is kind of changing every day with technology. So uh, looking forward to, uh, to the next steps, but glad you're where you're at now. Uh, any other comments on the job? Otherwise, I have a couple little questions. Quick hitters. Yeah, let's, uh, yeah, shoot. Fire away. First one. What's been your biggest screw-up? Oof. So many, you know, uh, so, many to, <laughs> so many to choose from. Uh, let me think. I, I mean, a lot of it is, is and I think you're similar, right? Where... It's a big screw up to me, but like, it's not something that I think actually, or we're talking career wise. Yeah. I don't know if I want to, you know, plead the fifth on some of this stuff, but. Um, <laughs> Personally. Yeah. We can keep it professional. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, there was a time I, I ran numbers wrong. Right. And only another engineer on the call with the company we were trying to sell to probably knew that I had made a mistake and done something like incorrectly, but it was a huge count. And, uh, you know, everyone else, we got off the call was congratulating me on handling all the technical questions really now, we, like really well, but I was, you know, after the call, like banging my head against the wall and how stupid of a mistake I made. And, you know, like I just was in a bad feed. How'd you find out? Oh, I, I just, I, I realized it cause he, he called me out on like a, an assumption I made on something. On the call. And I answered at the time. It was like, oh, I'm not sure. And I, you know, I'll look at it. And then I ran the numbers as soon as I got off the call. And I was like, man, he's right. And I was like, I hope that did not just blow this massive deal because I did some basic math error, you know, like just because I was crunched for time. And, you know, like that, that's going to live with me for the rest of my career, probably about triple, quadruple checking everything and just being locked and loaded on, on answering questions appropriately because that scarred me. But. So did the deal go through? TBD. Or TBD. TBD. <laughs> okay, we, we'll keep that under wraps. Yeah, hoping hoping for the best there. 
Um, okay, so tell me something that you're excited about. Now, this could be personal or professional. Ooh, that's tough. Um, Come on. Say, I mean, yeah, I'm not, I could list your I'm not excited about anything, Eric. Uh, one thing, <laughs> personal, I'm excited. I think I'm going to get a dirt bike soon and actually start enjoying some uh, some Colorado activities. Be nice. That's um, fun. I'm a, yeah, interested. You're going to be coming out here soon to go skiing with me. I learned last season you guys broke me in, which is great. But uh, you know, I'll hopefully be able to hang. I think career-wise, just rapid fire is just the growth of the 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 market. Right, with everyone actually starting to care about sustainability is is really cool to see. Big time. You know, it used to be kind of a joke to calculate greenhouse gas savings numbers on on jobs, where you know, like no one ever cares about this. But now it's, it's what some people the first thing they look at. So just seeing the shift in mindset in the industry and, and being at the heart of it in a way is really exciting to be a part of. Yeah, no, I'm seeing the shift on my end too. And even in the news, ESG targets Everything, and it's yeah. it's a buzz everywhere. Right. So I'm Ever like, since yeah. BlackRock came out and really, you know, set the precedent on, on reporting, I think that's really True. been a, a big push. It's cool to see. Yeah. Uh, next one, what is your mentor, which may or may not be your boss, doing that you are not? Oof. Um, let me think. Yeah, I guess it's tough because I, I, I want to say that I directly have a, a key, someone that I really model my life after. But people I look up to generally, I, I guess I'd say um, time management is something that I don't do well enough. Um, you know, time blocking is, is something that I've seen people that I kind of aspire to be in their position are really good at um, setting boundaries. And then when you're off, you're off, mm. right? You know, when you're off, you're off, when you're on, you're on, instead of always being on or kind of on, it's having, you know, clear, clear balance in life and clear boundaries. And that's something that, you know, as someone who's in a position that I've just been focused on grinding and working hard, it's, you know, and, and not having a family or anything like that, right? That is a clear reason for me to, to stop working, getting that balance mm -hmm. and setting those boundaries, especially in a work from home situation have been difficult. So that's, that's something I'm, it's yeah. going to start having to pay a little more attention to moving forward for sure. Yeah, no, I've thought about that as well, especially with all the work from home and more and more being put on your plate. So I understand that, but right. Same I note. feel like as you advance in your career, you have a little bit more of a pull and you feel a little bit better equipped to be able to say, no, I'll get to this tomorrow. Yeah. Um, yeah. so hopefully, yeah, that comes sooner. Saying, later, saying no people is, do is the, yeah. Saying no is an important skill set that, that takes a while, I think, to have the confidence to do. Agreed. Um, we could do. All right, pick one of the next ones. So, what's something you do every single day? I'll just let you answer that. Doesn't have to be long. Something that I do every single day. Um, not a good habit, but I drink uh, excessive amounts of coffee. <laughs> that's that's kind of my my morning ritual. You, uh... you know, I started to be better. Drink water first, at least, but you know, like wake up and have a cup of coffee, and then basically IV inject coffee the rest of the day. They say that successful people start with that. There's a lot of people that do that, so I think you're in the clear. I was gonna say cooking or something. I know you've 
you do a good job of oh, yeah. stocking your stuff and cooking. Yeah, I mean, every day I, I try to exercise just because that's like my, you know, step away from my desk, go work out. And then, you know, I'm, I, I eat a lot and I'm a frugal guy just like yourself. So I tend to, to cook most of my meals at home. And, and that's something I'm trying to, you know, improve the, the chef skill sets on. Uh, last one. What is one thing you could change today that would make you happier? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess one thing that would have an immediate impact, again, one, boundaries. We kind of discussed that, right? Like setting those those expectations. Sure. Uh, I think the other is, uh, you know, that's a, a personal thing for me is I, I tend to overthink, you know, like as far as, you know, that's just my mind works a million miles an hour going in all different directions and it can be a strength if channeled appropriately, but it often tends to overthinking and, you know, like borderline, you know, potentially self-destructive, you know, like mindsets around, you know, like where I overthink losing that one deal potentially, right. Where, you know, like it was a relatively minor mistake probably in the eyes of most people, but I, yeah, but I'm like, Oh, I made that one mistake. And, you know, like, you don't know how much that's haunted me. Um, so being able to like let go, go and stop thinking about things yeah. for sure, you know, and that's, that's what we've talked about, you know, between you and I, why I don't know if I could ever really do a sales job. I would take rejection way too hard. Cause I would, you know, I would take it personally. So, <laughs> and, and it's very, very much not personal. So if I could kind of, you know, step off of that mindset, I think that would, that would do the trick. Fair enough. Well, thanks, Evan. So if, if someone's listening to this and they, they want to reach out to you or they think you've got a cool career, uh, can they find you on LinkedIn? Can they you know, have you as a mentor? What's, uh, what's a good way to promote yourself here? Uh, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm not particularly active on any of the social medias, but uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to, to help people get into a career that they really enjoy because I, I feel fortunate that I found that for myself. So yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to help anyone that had any questions like that. I don't care about any of the, the use. <laughs> I know people in general and probably listeners too are interested in studying abroad and you kind of took that to another level with um, getting a master's degree abroad. So could you talk a little bit about that program specifically? So the, the whole thing was I had studied German in middle school and in high school. And then I didn't know really in like what to do from there with it. I I went ahead and just went and did the minor in college because it covered a lot of my credits, but then I never studied abroad or anything, you know? So that's kind of what you need to take your language skills or any, anything along that route to the next level. You know, True. you, you had Vlad on the podcast and I'm sure everyone loves him. Um, we studied, we did the same pathway and then he went abroad through his co-op or through an internship, came back and was like fluent. And I was like, oh my God, like where, where did my, yeah, exactly. 
I'm like, wow, I'm useless now. Um, but I, I never got to have that experience in undergrad because I was kind of focused on graduating, which retrospectively definitely should have just taken an extra year like you all did. And so I missed out on what I thought was kind of a key experience getting to, to be abroad for a period of time. So my whole thought process was trying to figure out like how to get abroad for an extended period of time. And I didn't want to just go do a backpacking thing for like a week. You know, that that's kind of like the standard, oh, I graduated. Let me go do this like backpacking trip. I want to actually like, yeah, <laughs> nothing <laughs> against have, that. It's great. No, no, I, I agree. <laughs> but um, I want a little more substance with it. And so I was kind of thinking, you know, there's a couple of different pathways. One, you work for a company that lets you go abroad as part of that. But that's a pretty difficult gig. Uh, and to high demand, yeah, right. High demand. And then also usually that requires you to work at the company for a decent amount of time. You got to put in the legwork first before they'll, they'll invest in you to that degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work. It's not a sure thing. Who knows? And then the other path I saw was like grad school. Um, didn't have money at the time, you know, was like a normal American had student loans to start paying. Uh, so I didn't want to go for a paid program. I found this program through the EU. I just did a ton of Googling, I think, like like a month of looking for programs. Came across this uh, program related to uh, sustainability, which is kind of what I had figured out. I think we talked about like my junior, senior year of college that I was interested in and wanted to learn more about. So mm-hmm. I found this program, saw that there was a scholarship associated for it, with it. It covered sustainability got me abroad and was potentially free. So it's this EU sponsored program. The EU kind of puts money in several different buckets of things that they, they think are key, you know, key areas of investment for the future of society. Right. So they had one. You're saying a university or more specific than that? So this is general, like they're funding education and, you know, initiatives. So they had this whole, Basically, they had several different buckets where they had like a smart city thing, you know, like the future of cities, right? They had climate, you know, climate change. They had sustainability and energy. And they had, I think, like, well, I guess the the city one was kind of urban planning. And then they had something else, right? Where I think education and then health, you know, like increasing vaccination rates among uh, low-income countries, helping with, you know, like initiatives to just provide better healthcare access globally. So they had these buckets under education. Education would be also kind of similar where it's increasing uh, rates of education among like, you know, the, the, the global poor, I guess would be the, the target of it. I see. So people okay. that aren't in, you know, Western super, I guess, relatively developed countries with, public education that's, you know, a part of daily life. So the EU has picked like five or 10 or right. whatever the number of initiatives. Grand, to grand initiatives, right. For their people. Okay. And so my program fell under that one of those buckets. And so there was a ton of money at the time, thankfully for, you know, to provide us with scholarships and living stipends while we were there. Not like we were living like Kings or Queens or anything, <laughs> but um, so the program was rotational. They had, I think, six or so schools opted in to my specific program. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to choose 
between either Barcelona or Stockholm for your first year. Um, that's kind of where we covered all our general education, you know, learn everything about the energy sector uh, just across the board. And then for your second year, that's kind of where you did a little more specialization, also your thesis. So you could choose from um, a list of other schools based on what you wanted to focus on. So there were the other universities from what I remember, you could go to is then Helsinki, Finland. There was Krakow, Poland, um, obviously Barcelona or Sweden. There was uh, Lisbon, Portugal. And then I think also, I'm going to miss one. I know there, there were options. There was a, a school in France to go to. And then there was also uh, Turin, Italy. Um, and so you could choose that. I chose Stockholm, obviously, for my second year, um, as we talked obviously. about. And their, their focus was polygeneration. Did you choose it because of Stockholm or because of polygeneration? Uh, both. Of, of all the categories, I thought that one was the most interesting. Polygeneration is really just taking one thing and making a bunch of different things out of it, right? So it's, okay. it's kind of like if you're familiar with combined heat and power, that's a form of polygeneration where you take natural gas and you're not just producing power, you're producing heat. But this okay. takes it to like the extreme where you can produce like 10 things out of it, you know? Yeah. So how, how was living abroad for a couple of years in a couple of different places? Yeah, it was, it was challenging for sure. Um, I went over with like completely by myself, right? My, my crazy like horror story is actually, um, you know, I didn't speak any Spanish I learned German, right, for the past like seven years, right, which or eight years, whatever, which was really not useful in Barcelona. And uh, I, I tried to figure out the housing. One of the things we take for granted, you know, the European education system is great, but it, it is not necessarily as it's not made to hold your hand like the U.S. education system mm -hmm. is. Their support on like a you know student level is not remotely the same. So I was basically figuring out housing completely on my own through this program. So this is year one. You moved to Barcelona, don't know Spanish, and are figuring out. Yeah, this okay. is before, and I was trying to figure out, like, housing. And so I had found student housing, right, and put a deposit in and thought I had everything figured out. I emailed them basically two days before I was flying out. And while I was in the airport, they responded, oh, by the way, we don't have a spot for you in the, the the dorms and i was like what do you mean i, I put a deposit in and you accepted that's literally the point of a deposit right is to hold your spot <laughs> and i'm like well i don't know what to tell you sorry and so while i was in the airport my housing fell through and so you know i, I basically had a panic attack in the airport but i was like well I'm, I'm going like you know i'm not gonna i quit my job i was in the airport i was packed up and told everyone <laughs> what i was doing i was like well turning back and quitting now is not an option no so I went out there and I, I like found, I'd never really been abroad. Like I said, I didn't know how to navigate anything. I'd never stayed in a hostel. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to do anything. I was clueless. And so I just chose a hostel that was close to my university, which was retrospectively not a nice area. Again, yeah. didn't know better. And uh, I lived there for three and a half weeks or so with all my stuff, right. In a hostel, I had, 
you know, two suitcases worth of things like I was coming to live and I was living out of a hostel for three and a half weeks by myself. And thankfully, yeah. you know, saving grace was meeting people in my program. Like I was miserable the first three days there, like by myself with all that. I was yeah, scared, yeah. anxious, like freaking out. And then I met the people in my program, you know, and, and that's really what like gave me the the motivation to, to move through it. And, and Farah, my friend from, from Lebanon, she was my savior basically where she held my hand through the whole process. Cause she was here by herself and she just mm-hmm. is a boss and knows how to do everything. She knows Spanish. Yeah. Well, she didn't at the time she learned, but oh. like she knew the process, right? Like, so she took me to get a SIM card, which I never had to worry about. You don't do that in the U S <laughs> So she took me to go, like, we went to the, the supermarket or whatever, to the mall, and she yelled at the person without knowing any Spanish to figure out how we can get a SIM card, which I would have been way too afraid to do otherwise. And then uh, met some of the other guys in the program who, you know, had actual housing. And I, you know, they they had a third bedroom that's so small, they were originally going to use it just as a guest bedroom, and no one's going to sleep in it. And I begged them to let me to let me live with them. And so that's I visited there. for my first year <laughs> in this closet of a room that I could touch the walls reaching up like that and touch the walls reaching my arms to the side. But I was just thankful to, to be with people, you know, my program, they're great guys, lifelong friends now. So that's yeah. my kind of funny anecdote transition story. How about with, uh, with like classes? So when I talked to Vlad, he basically said the German master's program was very, very rigorous and he didn't have the study habits. Was that something you encountered too? full name which is kind of hilarious and all the all of us kind of didn't really like it at the time because it's it sounds made up was environmental pathways to sustainable energy systems wow there's got to be an acronym in there no the, the <laughs> name of the program was select which has no relation and was not an acronym for anything perfect it's like a legacy name so we had this you know none of us actually put to be honest that degree name on our resumes. I, right. put, I usually say I did sustainable energy, energy engineering because I think, you know, Relatable. a lot of people would probably, you know, blink hearing uh, environmental pathways, which makes sense, right? It's, it's a curriculum focused on the environment and economics, right? Environomics. Got it. To sustainable energy systems, right? So how do we, in a cost-effective and environmentally oriented way, build out our our energy infrastructure. So it, it wasn't just the classic mentality of, of focusing on just engineering aspects. It was focusing on economic viability, which is super important when kind of looking towards the future of sustainability and renewable energy, right? It's not a matter of yeah. like, like, oh, it'd be cool if all of it was, we just put wind turbines everywhere, right? It's like, well, does that make sense or not? Right, like, yeah, so environomics does not mention engineering. How much was that a prerequisite and how was that covered? Most, I mean, the, the coursework itself was reasonably technical. Like you had to have an engineering background more or less to, to okay. go into it. Um, so yeah, everyone had an engineering background because you know we, we did this general ed stuff, which re- was relatively easy, but there are a few courses that 
got pretty heavy with Thermo in particular. So power systems, right? It was uh, designing, doing calculations and, you know, Thermo balances on power. Energy flow. generation. So, sure. right, thermodynamics to supplement yeah. that. And your background was chemical engineering, which would yeah. probably come into play as yeah, well. Yeah, which, which helped a reasonable amount, you know, gave me that thermo and the systems perspective. Okay. Yeah, interesting. So, environmental pathways for sustainable energy systems. Yeah. So, the energy systems is the engineering part. Environomics is kind of how you position it. Right, is the perspective. And it was also a, a very, so the goal, the grand scheme of this program was to, to encourage entrepreneurship. So oh. that was part of the whole, I keep realizing I'm missing really important things about this. I should have organized my thoughts. It sounds like a complicated program. Um, That's tough to explain quickly. Yeah, so I mean, um, the, whole, the whole, one of the big outputs that the EU wanted, right? One of their encouragements, they weren't just putting money into these programs not expecting anything out of it. What they wanted is people to have a place to really like constructively think about things and then to have support to come up with startups, right? That's going to help put them at the forefront of these respective industries. So there was a, a heavy focus on, you know, business acumen. We did a, a week-long seminar as part of the program at Azade Business School and uh, outside of Barcelona. I think it was in okay. Sacagot or something. Um, which was really like a boot camp, right? On on basic business principles, marketing, um, you know, accounting, kind of everything across the board. And we did a lot of uh, focus where part of one of our projects was consulting local startups on their their product, their business idea, writing, um, you know, like business plans and, you know, doing business justification, um, you know, assessments and, and write-ups. So that was a heavy part of the program on top of all the, the base coursework. And you said the entrepreneurial portion is because not people were backing the program or startups were backing the program, but more because the focus on new future technologies kind of aren't here yet. So it's more, looking into the future right. and building a business case for it. Is that right? Yeah. They were kind of using the program and they actually had a formal system out of it, but as an incubator. Okay. So, you there know, you they're taking all these people from around the world that all cared about these specific issues, all, you know, like relatively like competent, good people. Um, and then giving us the tools uh, to build these things out and, and, and kind of like, you know, take risks on, on big ideas to address these really complicated um, challenges that no one to date yeah. has really figured out, right? Global issues, yeah. Global, that yeah, some, huge, some like grand challenges, right? Figure we, out. Yeah, we learned about the grand challenges in engineering, right? Yeah. And it's, it's that, right? How do we figure that out and how do we actually take steps towards it? And there's been a lot of great outputs, you know, from some of my classmates, which has been cool to see. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's a good group. Yeah. I got to visit briefly and met a couple of people and seems like a bunch of future rock stars. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they'll be on the podcast. <laughs> maybe. Um, with the, with the economics piece. So I know at NC State, we were required to take an economics, I think one economics class. Um, was there, did you have a business background or a finance background or any classes in school? And was you playing catch up a little? So I did, uh, my minor was in uh, business administration. So okay, I did chemical I engineering and then minored in German and business administration, such a kind of a random duo. 
Which is interesting right. that you mentioned that because I, I initially was thinking, because I had coming in with all the AP credits, right? I kind of had room to pick up something else. And so the options I had settled on were either um, a chemistry, a bachelor of arts in chemistry, because it basically I was meeting most of the requirements through chemical engineering. So I was like, why not just pick up a double major? Um, wasn't going to take any extra time, even though it's just a BA um, or a minor in business administration. And I, I remember talking to, this was even the, um, the chemistry department guidance counselor. And I mentioned this and he said, quote, like, hell yeah, do business. Like, there's no reason to do chemistry, like in addition to chemical engineering, like definitely do business. That'll look way better. I was like, okay, sold. Yeah. So I had been through some of that coursework and I think like we, you and I talk about all the time, like I think engineers are generally financially minded, just we're numbers people typically. I'm sure. sure. 80% of the people listening that care about engineering probably have some budget spreadsheet set up where they track all their personal finances, right? Some macros, sure. One of the concepts I really enjoyed learning about and I actually sat in, like shadowed a few courses were environmental economics. And the whole concept, a lot of the stuff was pretty eye-opening to me around like what what an external cost is, externalities. Um, And that's basically the concept of when you go to buy a gallon of gas, you know, you're paying for just the gas, but what about the emissions from the gas? What about the pollutants from combustion of the gas? All that cost that gets passed on to everyone else, you know, and then that burden gets put on like society generally, you know, it goes on our health system. It goes on our, our, you know, productivity. It goes on everything and no one's paying for it. Right. Except, us in the long run. So the, the concept of external cost analysis is to figure out what should the price of a gallon of gas be if we're factoring in all of that to make sure it's priced properly to, to, to incentivize people to buy less or, you know, just to, to include it in the natural function of how the economy works. Same with Ford's, right? When we, when we, when we price wood, we're not including the, the value of like carbon sequestration in wood. Right. Like what's the real value of forest protecting it? And that's become a global, like pretty, pretty current hot topping or talking point, right? But I want to dig in a little bit more. So how does someone like you growing up in suburban Charlotte, like me, find this interest in sustainability earlier than, you know, it was kind of the catchy thing to do now. Uh, Where did that develop and how did you foster it? Yeah, I guess early by like five years, maybe. It wasn't something. um, Yeah, it's it's a great question. I, I think probably a lot of it just comes like, you know, I'm a very my personality is if it doesn't make sense, you know, like I, you know, I'm like, well, why, like, I don't, I don't like doing things for the sake of tradition or for the sake of like, that's the norm. Such a rebel. You probably know. Yeah. Rebel's not how I would characterize it, but uh, (laughs) contrarian, right. Cause I'm so cool. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason Like, you know, I, I picked up, I was vegetarian, like what junior year, starting junior year or so. Before it was cool. Yeah. And that was just one of those things where I, I remember like, 
thinking about it, someone, I, I heard the topic, right? And then instead of just immediately writing it off, like I think my younger self would have done, I was like, hmm, you know, like, I don't, I realize I don't know anything about that. Like, let me think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, did some research, then saw like, well, yeah, I guess like it seems like a pretty logical thing to me, right? Like not a real need, like there's not a like imperative to keep my normal diet, like why not change? And I think that kind of mindset or being open to to that kind of thinking is kind of what led me towards sustainability where I was like, there's not a reason for us to consume the way we consume for us to like general lifestyles to be the way they are. You know, there's not a, mm-hmm. there's not a compelling real reason to keep doing a lot of the things that we do currently other than sure. the fact of like, it's easy and I don't want to think about doing anything. It's the way different. it is. Right. And so I think I just kind of like got caught up in that, you know, spun out a little bit on it where I was like, well, like this doesn't make any sense. Like, and, and that's kind of where I got around to like, you know, the wastefulness of, you know, like energy efficiency or energy in buildings. Right. It's just like, there's, there's did that come from some of your classes because you didn't immediately jump to buildings. Like that's, you know, years. Yeah. That was, that was like a, yeah, I figured that kind of niche out later, like much later, but yeah, I guess initially it was, I was really focused on like biofuels. I thought were the coolest because also that was my before your program. Yeah. So I had done some specific classes and I was even thinking of, um, potentially staying at state and doing a PhD that would have been like a hybrid between the forestry department and the chemical engineering program. Very cool. Basically making, um, like torrefaction is the process where you basically make charcoal out of like biomass. So it's a way to take all this, you know, you have a bunch of fields of, of fuel, right? Grass or switchgrass, whatever. It's not energy dense, right? Like, you know, a gallon of gas would be like a whole acre of this grass. But basically the idea is you'd have these hubs where you would take the grass and make charcoal out of it, which is much more energy dense. And then you can transport it to be used somewhere else. Hmm. So that was like kind of what the focus of what I was going to be doing. And, and that was just to support kind of the sustainable fuel, biofuel economy. So that, yeah, that actually ties a lot of things together. Cause if you're in school, you're starting to think about things. I mean, you're exposed to a lot of different lifestyles or backgrounds somewhere like NC state, and then biofuels or your chemistry classes kind of lead you to think about alternative energy yeah, because you're gateway. talking about chemistry and compounds. That was your gateway to general sustainability. Yep. And then the master's program, you being kind of a sensible person, the fine and the business minor too. Yeah, I guess it does all coming together. Yeah, it takes you in that direction too. Yeah, the the thing I think it was kind of an offhanded comment, but I kind of took it to heart too, where I was about to graduate and I was talking to one of my professors for one of my biofuel classes and he, he made the comment of like, really, you know, I was talking about making impact sustainability wise. And he was saying, really, if you want to have a huge impact, you should, you know, cause I was like, I don't want to work for a traditional chemical company that's just making stuff. He's like, well, if you want to have a huge impact, go work for like a concrete manufacturing company. They're the biggest or one of the biggest, you know, polluters out there because it's sure. such an, an energy intensive process. Go work for them and figure out how to make their process 1% more efficient. And the impact That's you'll have on like CO2 emissions is probably going to be outstripped by any other like green labeled or whatever kind of like company you want to go work for. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that's actually like, it's a fair point. You know, I think I was kind of yeah. going after 
a lot of people get stuck with renewable energy, right? They're like, power production is like the cool, more attractive like thing, right? Power plants, solar, all that, but really kind of leading into it, like energy efficiency is the bottom of the pyramid to enable all of that other stuff to happen, right? Like at least yeah. happen in an economically efficient way. Yeah, no, that's that's super interesting. And right, that, that comment kind of leads you down your path. So you did the whole program on environomics. You came back, you did, you started a job. And the one thing you mentioned in the interview, but last thing I want to touch on is you took it upon yourself to go to that conference at Duke. What was that? What was the topic there? Yeah, it was, I'm trying to even remember exactly what the topic was. It was with... Which generally. Yeah, it was with the um, Nicholas School of Environment and the Duke Fuquay MBA program. It was like a dual program. A school of environment. Yeah, yeah, which is a big thing. Because that, that had originally been one of the programs I looked at um, domestically, was, but they're very expensive. Obviously, it's American private education. So It's at Duke? It's through Duke? Yeah. Both mm-hmm. schools, okay. And, and so, obviously, that didn't work out. But I went back <laughs> and I, I'm trying to think. I know the platform was around... Um, like Fortune 500 companies that have strong sustainability initiatives and what future trends and kind of like that space look like. Okay. So they had the CSO, the Chief Sustainability Officer from Coke, Burt's Bees, and uh, a few other like really major companies. And you know that. And then you're on an email list, and you come across it, and you're just like, okay, I want to go. And yeah, I was like, this more. seems great. I'm kind of looking to pivot a little bit, and was even thinking about like you know more grad school, right? Which would have been glad I didn't do that. But, you know, I was at least trying to, to hope to, to rub elbows and kind of network a little bit and, and understand yeah. like kind of what the, the whole market was looking like. And yeah, yeah. That, that was really a turning point for me as far as like taking initiative in my career. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I found that very interesting. And in Evan's full interview, which everyone should check out, uh, he talks a little bit about how a conversation there uh, led him on his next move. So a little teaser there. Yeah.